0: Hello, and you're very welcome to the week that really was with um, Establishment Stooge, John McGurk, and Fianna Fall infiltrator, Sarah Ryan, according to some of the comments we received on last week's show, which we'll come to in a second. Sarah, how are you?
1: Grant, how are you?
0: I am well, thank you. Um, It's been a a bit busy week, but before we get to the stuff we're going to talk about this week, I want to address some of the comments we received on last week's show, because Sarah, some of the feedback now was fairly harsh. Um, People (laughs) felt... People felt like we had sort of turned tail and run away from them. Um, there were a lot of people who took particular issue, I think, with with some of our comments in relation to the events at Kildare Street, which are now 10 days ago, um, where I think we both took the view that, look, whatever your views are, you shouldn't be jostling politicians but somebody said do we read the comments we do read the comments um and we did read people giving out of Sarah saying people should be water cannoned and I did read the comments saying that the only reason people read grip is for Ben Scallen and Fatima gunning and, Trace- and Matt Tracy and that you know I should go out. we read all those comments we take them on board um Sarah I'll let you respond to them in a second but I just wanted to say to people look we really appreciate that you listen to this show we do take your comments on board we understand, obviously, that passions are running high last week and there's a there's a big area of disagreement on these issues. But at the end of the day, if Sarah and I aren't giving you our honest opinions, folks, if we are telling you what we think, um, we're no use to you because we'd just be telling you lies to keep you happy. And that's not what we're going to do. So when you get um, annoyed at what we say, we really appreciate it. We do read the comments and we understand that your views are sincerely felt as ours are. Um, and I think it's... Just that's all we can say to you. Obviously, a lot of people did agree with us. But for those of you who didn't, we respect your right to disagree. um, But we're going to just hold our opinions and tell you what they are, because that's the honest thing to do. Sarah, do you have anything to add to that?
1: Not really. I mean, look, people are entitled to comment and disagree. Fine. But like, it's important not to um, not to get mixed up between a criticism of the behavior and a criticism of the issue that the people were there protesting about. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I'm just not like never going to condone, you know, and there was comments that said like, Oh, there was, there was nothing really happened or whatever. We're specifically talking about a video that showed a politician having a bottle thrown out of his head and missing going over his shoulder. I'm not going to condone that. That doesn't mean I disagree with any of the principles of what some of the people who were there think uh, there were so many different people, that rep groups represented there. I couldn't possibly comment on all of them. But like, look, it is what it is. Remotions ran high, as you said, and people disagreed with us. That's fine. That's allowed. We're allowed to do that. Um, yeah, and look, uh, 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 their uh, opinion.
0: as bad as things got, at least Lawrence Fox wasn't in the comments talking about you. <laughs> uh,
1: come on, like let's ha- let's 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 start with that, shall we? First of all. As in, a, like, I follow Lawrence Fox on Twitter, and I kind of, I, I find him kind of interesting. Um, and I think he's right about a huge amount of things that he says. I Dan Orton, I, I don't really like Dan Orton per, personally because I think, you know, you and I have discussed this before that like I can have my opinion, you can have your opinion on different things, let's say, trans issues or other issues, or whatever. But like, I really always and I'm not saying I get it right every time but I really really strive to never be cruel about anybody Um, and I think that sometimes people who are talking about trans gender stuff like can single out people who are high profile in that realm and be kind of be cruel and mean about them I just don't like it Um, I think Dan Wooden comes across to me like kind of an asshole Um, I think he's he, he's over the top he's cruel about people and it's just not really my cup of tea I think he's mean so um However, so I think saying the two of them just so just to, to briefly get get into it, they were discussing um, a, a number of things. And one of them was this journalist, John, what was her name?
0: Ava Evans.
1: Ava Evans. And he, he the, the, the statement that was made was I like who would shag her. Right. And like, I mean, I I think like I don't think that it's. I I, th- I I kind of I kind of I mean, I'm in two minds about this. On the one hand, I think it's a it's a gross, crass comment to make when you're absolutely inundated with opportunities to criticise her on her opinions about a range of issues. Without going down that road. On the other hand, Lawrence Fox has come out today, or it was yet I can't remember the time, and he's released a statement saying Dan Whitten has been taken off the radio and, or TV and has been and has apologised. Lawrence Fox is refusing to apologise, claiming that it's his freedom of speech and that, you know, if he says that he doesn't want to shag a feminist, you know, blah, 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 blah. He's perfectly within his rights to say so. And he's right. Like, so I kind of agree with the free speech and he should. And and I, you know, I've said on this podcast before, you shouldn't apologise because, you know, you're like absolutely entitled to have this opinion. I just think that those kind of, like phrases are kind of silly and childish and play to a they play to an audience that's childish childish and sort of misogynistic and you don't need to do that it's beneath you like you're smarter than that I wouldn't shag her brilliant like of course you're entitled to say that but um, like citing your freedom of speech every time you're being crass and childish is for children like it's silly just be be smarter. You're of course entitled to say whatever you want. Argue your points, and I'll defend your right to argue whatever points you want. But I wouldn't shag her. It's just kind of ugh. I don't know.
0: So well. So my, respect, my, my perspective on this is, I have been obviously um, sort of. I never like to say I've been in the public eye because an awful lot of people, thankfully, don't know who I am. But I've been been around sort of Irish political discourse now for for guts of twenty <laughs> years, appearing on TV. I've been
1: in the public or, eye. Remember that time we went for a drink on Dawson Street? And we were walking along together, and a woman kind of hissed at you. <laughs> yes,
0: yes, yeah. That, that, that does,
1: <laughs> And that. I was like, "What happened there? Like, what, what, what was that? It was during the referendum, and I was like, "Does this happen to you a lot?
0: It it does, anyway, it does. Yeah. It does. And, and and in fairness, and in fairness, the reverse happens to me a lot. Like I, you know, if I I don't go into in, into Limerick or Dublin very often, but I normally will get somebody or two or three people coming up and saying hello and being very nice and supportive. Yeah. And you get the odd hiss and the odd boo. But in my entire time of being, you know, having strong opinions and annoying a lot of people, no doubt, I can't recall anyone ever saying who'd shag him. It's just not a thing that gets said about men. Um, mm. you know i'm I, I'm not exactly an oil painting like you know I, you know so it's it's it, if like it, you know I, I don't think women sexualize men in the same way and it did feel very like her worth as a person is tied up in her appearance which was yeah just, and I he's thought,
1: cry- and he's trying to kind of row back on that a little bit in his statement that he released Do you know what i mean like he's trying to make it seem i'll find you keep going there and i'll find it because i was like that's kind of diluting it a bit go on
0: yeah yeah Um, and in terms of the free speech thing what i would say is that i i have some relevant insight into this because obviously i'm the editor of a, a media platform and every week we get lots of submissions in people send us in stuff Um, asking us to publish it. And, you know, all of those people have a right to free speech, but not all of those people get published. And the reason they don't all get published is because maybe their argument has been covered. Maybe I wrote a piece on that last week. I don't need to cover it again. Or, Or on some occasions... Maybe what you're writing is likely to get the platform into trouble um, or it's likely to be deeply offensive to somebody or it's likely to be defamatory. And I don't have a responsibility to publish what you've sent me just because you've taken the time to write it. Although I really appreciate people sending me and stuff and I hope they'll continue to do so. But not publishing somebody or saying I don't want this argument on the platform that I edit is is not uh, an infringement of your, your free speech that's slightly different from the left-wing take of of on, on things which sort of encourages people to be denied a platform but I, I i i don't think that this is a free speech issue for dan wooden the bigger issue i have though with all of this and i have a piece on on gripped on this today is sort of you know when so we have this cancel culture thing in society where it's sort of the new commandment now is thou shalt not offend anybody. You know, if you if you say something that's offensive to particular protected groups, you should be cancelled, you should be denied the platform, and so on and so forth. And there's natural resistance to that, and there should be resistance to that. But there's an element on the populist right, which sort of takes that to the next step, which sort of says, um, you know, if we offend people, we are therefore being virtuous, in and of itself. Like where where causing offence becomes kind of a a virtue because the other side says being offensive is bad. So therefore you should say the most shocking possible thing, um, get everyone mad at you on the other side and then turn yourself into a bit of a martyr. And I think there's a little bit of that in what Lawrence Fox is doing because I have been arguing passionately with left-wingers and left-wing women in particular for most of my adult life. And you know, I'm no angel, but I've never had to resort to that kind of commentary, and it's not necessary, and you don't need to do it, and it makes you look bad. Mm. Um, that's yeah, what I think.
1: I, 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 he, 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 basically, I'm, trying, I'm still trying to find where what he said, but basically, he was criticising the fact that she had basically been diminishing male suicide, right? And he kind of like, doesn't, you know, thinks that that makes her a fair game to go for it, which it does, except, you know, I just like, I don't know. I it, think, does. Yeah, it does I make her think, a fair, like, a fair game to go for. I think a smart guy, and I think that it's like, but not in this way. It's stupid to go for it this way because you've got exactly you, you, it makes her fair game to go for. So why would you go for the most base level thing? And then in the entire argument. So now nobody's talking about the fact that people like that somebody like she should be on being hauled across the coals for diminishing male suicide. And now she won't be because of this.
0: Do you know what uh, I mean? It's,
1: it's, like that's, so go for her. Go for her on the on the point. She's a female journalist. She's being snide about male and diminishing male suicide. Male suicide is a massive thing. It's a huge male issue. Like we're, we talk about women's issues all the time. Male suicide is a huge issue for men. Men don't talk about, you know, in, in the same way as women. They don't have the same outlets for, for talking as women. So for a woman to go on the, on the radio or whatever she did, and diminished males, it was like that, is absolutely appalling, and she should be called out for it, and now she won't be, because he's going, oh, I wouldn't like to ride her. Brilliant.
0: It actually relates to It relates to the conversation we had last week that got us in exactly. trouble with a section of our listeners. I mean, if you compare it to the protest at Leinster House that went a bit awry, I mean, in the aftermath of that protest, no one was talking about the concerns those people had about immigration or free speech or... Vaccine mandates, or whatever it was they were protesting about, because their actions or the actions, I, I, you know, we would be careful, the actions of a small group of them allowed everyone to talk about anything else but the issue that they wanted to talk about. It's a communications error above anything else. Um, and I, but 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 I, but I do think it's a problem. I, I notice this a lot because I obviously follow American politics very closely, and I, I notice it's a problem kind of on the right these days, where there's 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 a tendency to to kind of the more shocking you are, the more controversy you get. The more controversy they get you get, the more social media followers you get. Um, mm. And that is push pushing people to kind of pick stupid fights, not because it's for the good of the movement or advancing any cause, but because it's for the good of their own clout. Now this mm. didn't this didn't work for Lawrence Fox, who's lost a, a major platform in GB News. But you can see his strategy of, I will not apologize, I'm going to fight in you know, and I'm not going to be cancelled and say what you want about me. You can see, I mean, he's getting thousands of likes for those tweets. So there's an audience for that. There are people on our side of the fence who absolutely say, a fair play to you, go on, you know, you you know, she's only a snowflake, you know, say what you want. But I I just don't think that's a good outcome for anybody. I mean, I, I don't particularly want to live in a society where we go around, you know, like people in a schoolyard saying you're ugly and i wouldn't ride you i mean
1: but it is a good outcome john it is a good outcome john it's a fine outcome and it's a good outcome or whatever if he's falling on his sword for something that actually that people go around saying what well what did he get fired for what he said x y z oh i kind of agree with that getting for this it's a nonsense reason you're 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 just you're you know, committing Harry Carey and yourself for no good reason—stupid. I wouldn't shag her. You're better than that. Like, I just think it's silly. And you know, I don't think it's something. It, I like. I think you know, like if I go into my boss at work next week and say you're fat and ugly, you know. And I get fired. It's, you know, it's not really the set. It doesn't have the same kind of, you know, dignity as me getting fired because I'm like, well, all of the workers want, you know, to be paid overtime and he fires me. You know what I mean? Like, it's just stupid. And there's so much low hanging fruit in terms of, you know, your freedom of speech and things these days that you are and aren't allowed to say. That's the whole, you know raison d'etre of, of grit do you know what I mean that there are things that journalists won't write about things that people won't say mm-hmm. things that you can't say and things that you get cancelled for this is what he wants to get cancelled for I wouldn't shagger. stupid
0: well somebody else who got cancelled this week um, was a nameless gymnastics coach did you see that? Mm-hmm. Um, Fifteen million views for an extraordinary act of what the basically the entire media seemed to agree was racism. Um, now Gary and Michael covered this on their excellent podcast. If you if you don't like us, you like something a little different. There's always Gary and Michael on the Right Side podcast, which airs on all the same platforms as this one, and they talked They're about this. They're very charming.
1: Bit, so very very charming.
0: They are, um, unfortunately, um, but they but 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 I mean. What happened? I mean, this woman is is being denounced internationally as a racist because she didn't give this girl a medal, and no one seems to be willing to consider the possibility that it was just an oversight.
1: Well, I this is, comes to a comes down for me to a kind of a a principle of the way you see the world. So when I saw that video right at the beginning, I said there must be something more to this. There must be do you know what I mean like there must be a mistake or something and it's like you know if all you have is a hammer everything looks like a nail kind of like like I've spoken about this on the podcast before like I'm a 40 year old woman grew up in Ireland or whatever like I didn't I don't feel ever like I'm not saying that misogyny doesn't exist everything exists you know what I mean but like I don't feel like I was put upon or that the world treated me that differently from my brother like, do you know what I mean? I don't. And if I walk down the street and, you know, I'm trying to, like, pull into a parking space and uh, somebody pulls into the parking space ahead of me, I don't think he's doing that because I'm a woman. You know what I mean? Like, if that's the, all the way I see the world, well, then, of course, misogyny exists everywhere. If someone's rude to me in a shop, it's because I'm a woman. If this is it's because I'm a woman. I just don't see it like that. I think there are rude people. Misogyny exists. I'm sure I've been treated badly by men. Uh and you know, it is what it is. I've also been treated badly by women. I don't go around with this kind of expectation that the world is out to get me because of my gender. And I'm happier for it. And I think that there's a kind of a mob mentality at the moment of like like everything, every without any due diligence on the facts, without any efforts to, you know, um find out what the background is, or just without giving you know, like people just don't get the benefit of the doubt. Five minutes to ascertain whether or not this might be, there might be more to this. Everyone jumps on it. Everyone virtue signals. You retweet the video, you show, you know what I mean? And like, obviously I'm not black. I didn't grow up in Ireland or whatever. So it's not my story, but I still think that like ruining or attempting to ruin someone's life or outing somebody as being a racist in such a way is really dangerous without any, like, investigation or or consideration of what the background to that story might be you know what I mean like use like logically is it possible that that a that a gymnastics instructor or whatever the woman is went along a line of people and just decided to show her racism in front of an arena of people by not giving the black person a medal like or is there something else at play here But no, nobody thinks that everyone's too busy, as you say, it's just that looking for their online clout, looking for their weekly injection of virtue of their virtue signaling on their platforms to show how I have to post this video to show how unracist I am. It's all nonsense. And by the way, over the years, I I know two people that I can think of that are middle-aged Dublin Irish women or more than middle-aged now who are actually racist, right? And they're always the first, they're always the first to share on their Instagrams. Black Lives Matter. Uh, like I myself and Pete laugh about it all the time. Like the, this one person in particular that we know. And I'm like, She's the most racist person I know. And she's <laughs> but blacking out her Instagram. You know what I mean? Like, I just unfollowed her at one point because I couldn't be dealing with it. But like this it's virtue showing things on the internet show you're not a racist is a nonsense. You're just not, exactly. or you are. But you're uh, I, I, It's a mob mentality, John. And actually, funnily enough, I watched a really good movie. If anyone has an hour and a half, or not a really good movie, but just a kind of a fun movie last night on Netflix. I think it's called Accused, and it's about a guy in London. There's like a bombing in London, and he is sitting at home on the uh, one evening, the evening of the bombings, and someone who who went to school with. There's a photo of the bomber on CCTV footage and someone basically that he went to school with says this looks a lot like whatever his name is. And then it just goes viral. And he's like kind of outed as being the bomber. And it's all about like he's in the house on his own and these like vigilantes showing up. It's good. Like it's kind of hide behind the couch a bit, whatever. But it has an interesting point, which is that like, you know, like outing people for things that they may or may not have done is reckless in the extreme say nothing for the fact that even if they are guilty like the legal like the legal structures are in place to pursue things but like just posting up a video of some poor woman giving you know medals which may or may not be you you may be getting it wrong is
0: reckless but
1: just and, and, and and it's all for your own personal clout I just
0: come on Well, should be said that for once, for for once, this was not an Irish generated outrage. The guy who posted the video, I think, lives in the Middle East. Um, And that's how it became such an international sort of story that this was, you know, terrible racism that had taken place in Ireland. And Ireland is a really racist country. And it kind of went internationally viral. And then it was, of course, our own lads got it and they were at pains to say, oh, no, no, this is absolutely disgraceful, but it doesn't reflect Ireland. And none of them thought to say, hang on a moment. This is nonsense because you can't say that. And so once you're being accused internationally, your 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 instinct as an Irish progressive is to say, "Oh well, you know, we're we're obviously improving, and there's still some dark." Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, <clears throat> for me, when I I, I I looked at it, I mean, first of all, uh, take all the noise and nonsense out of it. It was uh, whoever the coach was, whoever the, this woman was. She did make a horrendous mistake, and I understand mm-hmm. absolutely why that little girl whatever colour, creed or race she was, would feel horrendously slighted. Um, And we don't know, we don't know, for example, I mean, you should always consider the possibility that maybe she has in the past been the victim of racial racialized bullying or something like that. So maybe this yeah. is a, a trauma that sits deep within her, and it could it could have felt it could have felt awful. And it, it, it's right that Gymnastics Ireland should be apologising, and it, it's right that the woman who made the mistake and I, I, I for the record I think it was probably a genuine mistake. It's right that she should feel bad about it because it's a, it's an awful thing to happen to that young girl. But this is life. We live in a world where I mean. Kids feel awful all the time. I played Gaelic football uh, when I was a kid um, and I stopped at around the age of 14 because I wasn't really any good. And when you're not really any good, you don't get picked for the team. You spend your whole time on the bench. You feel a little bit worthless and there's no there's no Mm -hmm. fun in it. And to some extent, therefore, I sympathize with those who kind of, you know, want to make sports more about participation and less about Oh,
1: fully. I mean, I have a seven. he's, He's seven next week. And he's obsessed with soccer, like, and plays for a team in Malahide, blah 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 blah. And you know, this year they kind of streamed them, so he it was just fun. And then from September they put them into different teams. Now, the gas thing about him is that he's he he was you know he was kind of like we used to kind of laugh. He'd be kind of standing on the pitch, looking up at the sky, and you know, having it to, yeah, thinking about it, and then. Maybe he'd run at the ball but he'd be a bit scared of it and whatever. And then he's just one of these kids who over the summer, he did the FAI summer camp for football for two weeks. We went to Greece. He, the one of the guys that we know in Greece actually plays for a Greek team. He was messed with it and he suddenly got really good over the summer. Right, So okay. the team that he's been put in he's suddenly the best on it, if you know what I mean. But like but like the anxiety I used to get about like him being aware that he wasn't good or that he wouldn't be picked for the right team with his friend, and it's awful. Like it's so awful for kids. So I absolutely sympathise that they made a huge mistake and that they shouldn't have done that. But that doesn't mean no. You know it doesn't. what I mean? Like it doesn't follow automatically that it's about. Do you know what yeah, I, I mean?
0: Yeah, I mean it's. it's, it's One of the things that strikes me now is that in the legal system, there is still the presumption of innocence. So for most cases, if you're accused of something and you're brought before court, there is still, in theory, the presumption that you're innocent unless you are proven guilty. Um, But that doesn't apply in the culture. In the culture, there is now the presumption of guilt that... You know, for example, if you are, um, we see this all the time. We saw it in the aftermath of Ashley Murphy, where there was kind of a mass presumption of the guilt of Irish men that we are, we, you know, that, that that Irish men have a systemic problem with women. And of course, you get the hashtag not all men. And of course, we're not talking about everybody. But you sound like you're talking about everybody. There's a presumption of guilt um, there's also a presumption of guilt in this case, that like the only, you know, that this woman is a racist until she proves that she's not. And of course, you can't, how can you prove that you're not a racist? Because as you just said, you know, some people who are very racist will will be the people you would never think are. Um, and somebody who's not at all, I mean, I I had somebody say to me this week about somebody who I know very well, who doesn't know the person at all, said, oh, that fella is a racist. And the person who said this is a is a a good person um, in most respects, but I was really offended at them for making that assumption about somebody who they they didn't know, had never spoken to, and is the least racist person that I know. And I I I, I can't and won't use names here, but it does happen that this there's this presumption that if you say something or if you if you make any kind of mistake that you, you must be a, a very bad person and it's up to you to prove that you're not. I think that's really toxic in our culture. It's it's yeah. really toxic. Um, and it, it happens across a whole range of areas. I mean, George Hook, for example, um, was denounced as a misogynist for making one comment that I think, in fairness to George, having spoken to him, he understands he phrased it badly. But he was He was denounced by lots of people who'd worked with him and everything as a misogynist from on high that he actively hated women and blamed women for being raped and all of this stuff. And he was never given a chance to defend himself or explain himself. He wasn't even allowed back on air to explain himself. Um, Mm. You know, at least in the case of Lawrence Fox that we were talking about a few minutes ago, he's made very clear he's not apologizing. He's got the opportunity now to to air his views. Um, Fair enough. But, uh, you know, George was never even given that opportunity. And I, I don't want to speak about him specifically. He's just a recent example in Irish culture of, of the kind of thing I'm talking about, where there's the automatic assumption of the worst of people. And that's what's what's happened here. And I think it's I think it's it's something that's really toxic in our society because it has everybody watching themselves to an extreme degree. Do you remember Panty Bliss? And by the way, I'll talk about Panty Bliss in a moment. Um, do you remember Panty Bliss gave this speech in the Abbey Theater during the marriage equality referendum saying, I check myself. You know, because I'm a gay person walking in yeah, around Dublin. Yeah. I, I go to when I'm at a bus stop, I check myself. You know, when I'm when I'm in public, I check myself to make sure I'm not being too gay or whatever the case may be. And it was it was it was thunderously applauded because in fairness to Panty, it was a really good speech. And it was a mm-hmm. it was an um, uh, uh, I, I, Very I think empa- that's, uh,
1: empathy, uh, empathy inducing. Would that be right?
0: Yeah, yeah but, yeah, but but we've moved we've moved away from that yeah. to the extent that to the extent that I mean, on the subject of panty, this week, uh, panty announced to the public that I, as in yours truly, as in your host of this podcast, should be shunned and should not be. Um, should, uh, decent people everywhere, hairdressers. Republicans, people who own shops, you know, I should be shunned from polite society and basically driven out of anywhere I go into because apparently the protest on Kildare Street that I condemned was my fault. Um, and that's an example. I mean, I, I once again, like I have to prove apparently that I'm not a Nazi. And he, yeah. she, whatever panty identifies as these days, doesn't have to prove that I am. That's the kind of cultural environment that we live in. And that's what this woman. Was a victim of as well. She is a racist until she somehow proves that she's not. Um, I think that's toxic and disgusting, frankly, because I think it's fairly obvious to anyone with a brain, as you said, that if she was a racist, most racists aren't dumb enough to do openly racist things in front of huge crowds of people who aren't racist, which is is what is alleged to have happened here. Um, so it's uh, yeah, it's 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 just all very depressing. Um, and very unfortunate. And 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 once again, I think based on all the, the the coverage of it I saw, we had the entire Irish media running with this narrative, and we had a huge sway of the public. I don't know whether it's a majority, minority, but I think it's probably a majority of those viewing who who just said, "What's this about?" I mean, clearly there's a different explanation here. Why is no one being open to it? But it doesn't matter because once you're in that media bubble, you just run with the condemnation. And you know, it's the it's the you know what it reminds me of. It reminds me of the the Carlo School case all over again. Do you remember when the teachers were teachers were all oh, Yes. Yeah. until it suddenly turned yeah, out that they weren't and they they were basically uh, commenting on schoolgirls bottom, bottoms until it turned out yeah. they hadn't. And yeah. uh, no one ever apologized for that. And no, no one no, no, no. ever apologized for calling this woman a racist
1: but I also love the way there are people and I, 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 I'm here for it. Like I love the spirit of it who (laughs) continue to comment underneath the tweets of some journalist saying, are you, when are you going to apologize? And they won't let it go. They won't let it go. And I, I love it. Like I just love it. But like, just, just the, the dedication that they have to that cause. I, I'm, if you're listening and you're doing that, I'm, I admire you Brilliant.
0: Well, on that, I, I spoke, I, I think I was the only, I mean, I, and, you know, there aren't many things in, in you know, that I, I'd say absolutely proud of, but I am proud that that week I was the only journalist in sort of the national media, if you can call grip, the national media, I think you can, who was skeptical of the story publicly and who spoke to the teachers in the school. And I can tell you the teachers in the school had the most horrendous time because, first of all, there are only a small number of male teachers in that school. Um, secondly, there's there's only two male PE teachers in that school. Everyone in that community was whispering about who it was that was looking up the young ones. The, the teachers concerned are married with young kids. It was horrendous for them. And nobody thought about this at all. It was just, oh, yeah, these men are... Toxic misogynists, you know, they're eyeing up uh, your daughters. You know, be very, be very careful about it. I mean, it was what what those people went through um, in that week was utterly horrendous, and no one has ever had the grace to apologise. Actually, no, not I think Jill Kirby is the one national journalist. She's a business columnist for I think The mm-hmm. Times, who um, who has had the grace to say sorry about that. The rest of them, and that includes some very senior household name journalists, Mm -hmm. have never so much as acknowledged that they got that one wrong.
1: And politicians Um, as well. Don't forget the
0: politicians. Adorno Reardon, I remember (laughs) specifically. Um, I mean, I'm going to call him out on it. I mean, holier than the holiest of the holiest, the Archbishop Mm -hmm. of Clontarf himself, who uh, never had the good grace to say, I got that one wrong. Um, and never will have the good grace to say he got that one wrong um you know that's that's just who he is um but you know that, that uh, but but uh, you know the, the 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 case of the the case of the racist gymnast coach um is very much in that in that sphere um yeah. and if, if, if she happens to listen to this podcast i'm i'm uh, presume she's not but if she ever happens to speak, you know you have our sympathies because i think you made a very bad mistake but there's absolutely no evidence for the condemnation that's being thrown at you um yeah. anyway speaking of politicians new opinion poll out this morning yes what did you make of it
1: um shin fein up again um I think Mary Lou kind of did a bit of a press tour the last week or two. So um she's back and um, following an illness. So I think that that's probably helping them. But I, I think these polls are interesting in that they're not interesting, if you know what I mean, like this two two points here, two points there, whatever, but nothing ever really changes. There's a kind of a, a consistency to them now that sh- sh- should, isn't, but should have been a worry to Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael about two years ago, but they, they don't seem to be perturbed by it at all, so we can only assume that um they're not reading them, or I don't know. But
0: um so, yeah. So well. I, I I want to highlight some stuff in the poll that I think isn't getting enough attention. Um. Okay. So obviously the poll the poll at the at the the overall figures Sinn Fein are on thirty four percent, but right. I'm I'm intrigued by the figures amongst eighteen to twenty four year olds and twenty five to thirty four year olds. So um I mean the the figures are basically identical. Uh, for both age groups, there's like a 1% difference. But basically, amongst that age group, um, Fine Gael and Fianna are on 12% for Fianna in the 18 to 24-year-olds, 9 in the 25 to 34-year-olds, 11 for Fine Gael and 15, respectively, in those two age groups. Sinn Féin on 44 and 43. And Independence and others, actually, on 24% amongst the youngest voters, and 26% amongst the 25 to 34-year-olds. Amongst people under 34, either Sinn Féin or independents are piling up almost 70% of the vote between in this yeah. poll. So, so, like, that's a huge chunk of the, of, of the young vote. I mean, everyone will talk about Sinn Féin getting 44%, right? So that's that's the, or That's a big share. But independents and others, the people who aren't voting for any of them, amongst the youngest voters, they're at over a quarter of the vote, um, which just tells me, I mean, Irish politicians, aside from Sinn Féin, are not talking or, or have zero relevance almost to the youngest voters in the country. It's its, it's, it's an extraordinary indictment, I think, of the political system. Um, I mean, as you get older, obviously, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael support grows. But I put that to you, Sarah, as somebody called you last week a scion of a Fianna Fáil dynasty, that like that yeah. is a dynastic vote. That is that 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 is people who, who have always voted Fianna Fáil and really don't actually know that you're not allowed to vote for Fianna Fáil. Sorry, that you're allowed not to vote for Fianna Fáil. Do you know those people? They're, they're out there, and they're for Fine Gael as well. People who actually... I remember when I ran for election in 2011, Like I remember distinctly meeting one voter who I think was really under the impression that they actually weren't allowed they they actually were allowed to not yeah. vote for I think it was Finnegale, um. So so there's so I, I, like those two parties decline is really stark when you look at the the younger voters, and we're not talking here, kids. We're talking people thirty four years of age and younger. So
1: yeah, I mean, I think like politics has changed in Ireland in the world, and you know, people like, but young people have always, you know, we spoke about this before about you know people going to the, what was the um, Wolf Towns and Sinn Féin, Michal's comments about young people and, you know, was it as he said, they were brought into a cult or something, the cult of, what was the quote again? Mm -hmm. Um, But, um, so I think like, like, I I think that there's a a number of things. I think young people like who aren't brought up in a family that is particularly political go through phases of kind of like, you know, thinking about different things and and supporting different part, political parties and and you know like then they change or maybe they don't or whatever that's all fine but i think that also what you're seeing there is that there is a generation of of people who like aren't having their needs met by the current government whether it be housing whether it be something else and um, are gravitating towards somebody who seems to be speaking their language. And it's interesting that, you know, that, that such a large percentage, like 70 odd percent of young people are going towards Sinn Féin or independence when nobody is trying to court and to seduce, for want of a better word, that vote group more than Fianna Fáil and Fianna Fáil, and they're getting nothing for it. Meanwhile, alienating, you know, their core vote slowly but surely over the last few years. You know, I always said that, like the direction that Fianna Fáil was taking was kind of like, you know, practically ringing up Una Malali and asking Una what, who she wanted Fianna Fáil to be. And, and you know, that's a vote that's never going to vote for you, you know, long term. That's not your they're not going to vote for you. And so trying to court that vote all the time is a death, is it hiding to nothing? And it, and it is. And, you know, like Fianna Fáil, like p- polls could be up, down and up to and down to or whatever. But like Fianna Fáil has been stagnating, stagnating for a long time. And, you know, that's not just because of young people, but, you know, young people... If people for like, it's not it's it's also to do with the timing, like people can be, you know, Sinn Féin and I'm young and I want this and I want that and whatever for a while. But you're talking about people now who like are reaching into an age where they may have voted for four general elections and never voted for you. Do you know what I mean? Like that's mm-hmm. that becomes a pattern that's hard to break like if you sat down at your first general election and said, oh, my God, Fianna Fáil ruined the country and Fianna Fáil did this and I'm never voting for them. And now you voted in multiple elections since I'm not going to do the maths off the top of my head because I can't remember what years the election was. But you get my point. You You develop a pattern. Where the idea that, you know, and, and and what you see is like that there was a that that exact thing happened to Sinn Féin voters. That's why there's people over a certain age who are way less likely to vote for Sinn Féin because they couldn't imagine voting for Sinn Féin because mm-hmm. they have years of saying, well, I'll never, ever, ever. I mean, I've been canvassing since I'm literally four years of age. And, you know, I can remember for years knocking on doors and people saying, well, whatever happens, not Sinn Féin. And they were always of a certain age they'll spend their life actively voting for anyone but Sinn Féin. But what Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael have done are starting to do now, I think, and the concern is that they're creating a generation of people who will do the same about them. And that's a big problem because ultimately it's all very well to be really popular, moderately popular in the 65 and 75 and 85-year-olds. But, you know, not to be too morbid, but they're dying. You know, like... like there's, there's a Like, 85-year-olds statistically speaking we'll see one more general election some will, some will see more but most of them won't and so you're losing your vote share all the time trying to you know something has to give here for Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil trying to be cool all the time has done you no favours you've tried it for years it's not working so go back to your to, to basics here and like I, I mean I don't I don't have the answer I don't know like what the, what, what there is to do there but I, I know one thing whatever is being done right now ain't working
0: well the other thing is i look into the future when i see these numbers and i see like forget forget the sinn fein figure because the sinn figure is simply sinn fein are the most radical option that's available right now that's what they are they are the most Mm. i mean you know the most radical I'll, I'll, i'll tweak that slightly the most radical option that's a viable party of government that's available right now. I mean, obviously, there'll be some people who want more radicals so they'll vote for people for profit and Paul Murphy and so be it. And th- there'll be 2 or 3% of the electorate who vote that way, like there always are. But if you're a young person and you're looking to radically give the system a boot, Sinn Féin are where you go. Um, mm. But then on the other side, the massive vote for independence suggests to me that, the, you know, it, the, there are also people who want to give the system a boot, who don't want to vote for Sinn Féin, but they want to give the system a boot. The, If I was somebody in one of the two bigger parties, or indeed the Labour Party, which doesn't feature at all, by the way, amongst younger voters, um, I would be very concerned. Despite all the efforts. Um, I I mean, it it disappears entirely amongst 18 to 24. It's literally 0% for the Labour Party amongst 18 to 24-year-olds. I would say this is is evidence of an emerging radicalism in the electorate. Um, And it's not just... On the the left, 44 percent of them, okay are going to Sinn Féin. But I think there's a big chunk height. I mean, if you look at France, for example, um, and Italy and um, where where Maloney did really well, Uh, Le Pen does extraordinarily well in France amongst the youngest voters. Um, Maloney, I think, won almost a majority of the youngest voters in Italy. Trump is actually making inroads amongst young voters in the U.S. Like, there's there's, there's an emerging young generation that's, that's moving radically in another direction as well. And I think when, when, and it's not if at this stage, when Sinn Féin take power, be that in 2025, and if not 2025, I would imagine certainly 2029, um, the, the, like, we're going to see that radicalism expressed in a different oppositional Express itself in a differing, different oppositional way. There's a, there's a huge shift and a hunger to tear down what you might call the established liberal order in Ireland. And I don't mean liberal in the sort of social sense either. I mean economics. I mean the whole model that we've had basically since the fall of the Berlin Wall. There's a huge antipathy to it amongst younger voters, and I think that is both exciting, but also potentially very, very dangerous. Um, and the the political establishment, as far as I can see, has no response to it. They they have no ideas. They have no they have no conception of why it's happening. There is just this sense that you know this is this will pass. This tide will go out. You know we'll just keep our heads down. Business of you business as usual will come back if we just keep muddling on as we always have. I think it's going to get a, a, more radical um, over the next fifteen twenty years. That's what I think.
1: Do you think it's better for Ireland, you know, just for the, for politics or for, you know, like, let's take away the potential, like, policy, the, intro, the introduction of policy. Do you think it's better for politics in Ireland if Sinn Féin get in this election or not, next election or not?
0: I think it's better for Fianna and Fine Gael if they do. Yeah. I mean I I don't I I mean it's their one chance really to rebuild an opposition I think um because if if it goes on uh, those parties could be destroyed uh I mean I, I like I don't see I mean I have the greatest respect for any young person who's involved in politics and obviously I see O'Grafina fall and plugging away but when I was young and um involved in youth politics we were all oddballs then. And you're all kind of oddballs now too. And I don't say that, it. it's okay to be an oddball, but you don't think you're involved in, in, in youth politics for one of those two parties and think you're representative of your generation because you're not. Um, that's just the, the bottom line. Um, and I think their only real chance to get that generation back is to is to formulate an alternative policy arrangement to, um, to Sinn Féin once Sinn Féin are in power. Um, and be the voice, become the voice of that youth radicalism, in a way that they can't be at the moment. I think I think it goes on another election after this one, and they muddle on, and they put a government back together. Mm. I think they're in. I think they're in genuine a genuine risk of, um, if not extinction, then going the way of the Labour Party, and becoming a, a minor factor. And Fianna Fáil and Fianna Fáil, Fáil Gael people don't seem to think that's possible. You talk to them, they they don't think about. Like, oh, we have the organisation. We have. You look around the country. Your organisation is ancient your your common meetings are, are you try to find dark hair in a common meeting or a branch meeting it's not there um you know you're you I remember uh, in 2002 election I remember canvassing in Cavan Monaghan for Rory O'Hanlon um who was a very senior politician at that stage he was, became Corla, I think after that election um and like there were armadas of people out campaigning for him. and they, they they it wasn't for him it was it was the Fianna Fáil Machine, yeah, yeah. The Fianna Fáil machine doesn't exist anymore anywhere. Um, I mean, maybe there's there are individual politicians within Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael who have their own political machine, maybe. But, but the the, the institution of the has
1: dropped off. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, yeah, yeah. The institution. I mean, you're, you you know this. Your father um, yeah. w- was elected for years in in what is now Dublin Bay South, um, and has gone through many. I mean, he had a big organisation. Um, there was a huge, big institutional Fianna Fáil movement in that constituency. Like, I, I, I don't mean to, uh, to, to offend your honour as a Faller, but it, it's not there anymore. No, and but the
1: I, I, don't that's one, I don't think that's a Fianna I don't think that's phenomenon. I think that that's a Gael one as well. And um, mm. I think there's, there's loads of problems there. I think you're right in the sense that, like, when I think about, you know, and, uh, you know, like young people who are involved in politics, it's, it, it, it it's it's lovely. Like, it's wonderful. I had, I, I was, it's great crack. You meet friends for life. You know, I anyone I know who's joining or starting college, I, I always encourage them to do it. Some do, some don't, whatever. You're right that it's not representative, you know, whatever. But it's it's fun and it's, you know, there's a bit of crack and people buy you drinks and, you know, there's kind of whatever. And you go out camping and you have a bit of crack. But like, when I think about those, pe- those young people, like if Fianna Fáil and, and Fianna Gale formulate another government to, with the Greens or whatever after the next general election, I just, I feel exhausted for them at the idea of going out once again and trying to kind of, you know, be upbeat and positive about Sinn Féin getting more TDs, but not being, you know what I mean? It's just, mm-hmm. there's a kind of a, like there, there's a kind of a, just, it, it's exhaustion, I'd say. They're just, t- they'll be tired. It, it won't be fun. You know, you're not going to, like, when I was in college and you go out and camps. yeah, of course there'd be people. Of course there was always people who were like, eh, hey, you know, Fianna Fáil or whatever. But there was some people who loved you and, you know, there was people who you had the crack with them and, you know, whatever. There was a buzz. I don't see how there's any buzz after another general election, you know, going out and saying... You know, and there's something about it, I I, like I'm not a Sinn Féin voter, that's well established, but there's a part of me that just thinks, you know, maybe it's best to just get, get on with this. And, you know, if Sinn Féin are going to be in government this election or the next election, maybe it's time to just, you know, let that happen and let the parties recover and let the parties, you know, start to kind of reconfigure and think about what they... Stand for, who they want to be, or what you know, what kind of Ireland yeah. they want to represent. You,
0: you you probably have more faith in that happening than I do, though, because I mean, I, I look at Pinafall and Finnegale, and I I don't see any. I I really don't see where any kind of intellectual spark is going to come from. I I, don't, I mean, you look at Finnegale this week. Charlie Flanagan is retired. I think he's the. I mean, uh, somebody said during the week that if you if you go across the southern half of the country, sort of Kenny, like Carlo, Wexford lots of Cork, Tipperary. Like, there's only one Fine Gael TD that's actually standing for re-election. All the rest of them mm-hmm. are standing yeah. down. I, I don't think that's a coincidence. It's not that they're all old. I mean, John Paul Fiedland, who we both know and respect, I think, is a very young man who is just yeah. packing it in because he's sick of it. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, I want to emphasize they're not putting words into John Paul's mouth. I'm not saying he's sick of Fine Gael, but I, I think he's, he's had enough of of the political grind, put it that way. Um yeah. Like the energy I think has- when you're
1: in politics and certainly like I noticed this and I've spoken to people who are former Fianna Gael and Fianna Fall TDs. And um, when you're in it, you think it's the whole world. You know, you think it's like this, like every nothing that happens that's important doesn't happen, you know, in politics because it's the center of the universe. And the reality of it is that for a lot of people who live in Ireland, it isn't. And I have no people, very, very good friends who don't engage or think or talk about politics ever who live their lives with a very, very, you know, cursory glance at who's in power, who'd be able to name the Taoiseach board and probably wouldn't be able to name any other minister or, you know, most of the time don't know what's going on and don't care. And they're happy out. And I think that, you know, if you've been in politics like Sean Paul or, or, or John Paul and other people, that I know who've left politics, like to realize that, you know, there's, there's other things in life, like politics is great, but you know, you know, your family is more important, your, you know, your happiness, your health, What you know, these things are way more important. And, you know, you can be in politics for a while, you can serve, you can do the work you want to do and you can move on to something else. And you don't have to, you know, stick with it forever. And I think that there there's people who are brave who say, yeah, I've done this, but I've had enough and they're right to do that. Um, I don't agree that there's not. I would say that in Fianna there is, you know, and I'm not going to start naming names because I don't want to put words into people's mouths or act like they've spoken to me about it, which they haven't. But I think that there are people in Fianna Fáil who are very bright and do have, you know, like. Huge capacity to come up with, you know, policies and, and, and ideas that are not getting any airtime at the moment. And I think that that's a leadership issue in Fianna Fáil. I think that there's, it's difficult to, for some people to, you know, get a name for themselves because they don't have the necessary relationship with leadership with the party. Mm
0: -hmm. Anyway, speaking of the leadership, that would be different. Speaking of the leadership of the party, though, I mean, talking about intellectual spark, I mean, the man basically came out as far right activist this week.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I I always knew he had it in him, John
0: yeah he he yeah. He, uh, he he now says it's going to be a very very difficult budget because of all the extra people in the country um which is extraordinary because if, if you or me went on Prime um, primetime and said that, you'd have people screaming that Orty uh, shouldn't have platformed uh, such hateful far-right rhetoric. And yet there is the tarnished of the country saying it. The CSO figures came out this week, by the way. Um, the population has increased by about 97,000 since this time last year. Uh, of that, 70,000 of the increase, uh, the CSO says, is a result of immigration. And 20% is, twenty percent is 20,000 is... Twenty thousand, about twenty percent as well, is the result of natural growth, i.e., more births than deaths amongst Irish people. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I mean, you know, I, I don't know what he was thinking in saying that. Even from a purely political standpoint, he's basically saying, yeah, uh, immigration, which we say is great and necessary, is costing everyone money and it's going to really difficult budget as a result of it. But I also thought it was, it was, it was fascinating to hear him talking like that. And it was also very ironic because we've had so much, you know, you know, say that six months ago and you'd be called uh, basically a far-right activist for saying it. Um,
1: well, I'm so, old I'm- enough to remember when I was old enough to remember when, you know, you had to, something had to have been at least five years old before you were able to say you're old enough to remember. But now it's six months. You know yep. what I mean? Like, like, six months ago, if someone had gone on TV and said, there's too many people, this is going to cost, this is going to have an impact on resources that were racist. Yep. Okay. Uh, he's right uh, in what he's saying, that's fine, but but it's just, it's, it's you know, I don't know, real's for thee and not for me. Why are you, why is that okay to say now when it wasn't six well, months I, ago?
0: Well, I think actually, this is a bigger issue for Fine Gael and because Fine Gael had been in in government since 2011. And in fairness to me, Hall Martin, I think if he was pushed on this, now no one asked him about it because I think there was a sense in the media we don't want to amplify these comments, so he wasn't asked about it. But I think if he was asked about it, he would say that he was talking about the last decade more than just the last year because the population has increased. But I mean, first of all, you're bringing more people in when you've already got an infrastructure problem. And secondly, we have an infrastructure problem because the party that has been in government since 2010, 2011, that election has basically underinvested in um schools, hospitals, roads, you name it, to the extent that we can't cope with the number of people we already have. So it's either um these problems are a result of immigration, which is bad for Fine Gael and Fianna Fall, or it's because these problems are a result of sustained underinvestment in the sort of I'm not talking about public services, but I'm talking about the infrastructure you need in the country to cope with the number of people you have, which is Finnegale problem. And partially a Fianna Fáil problem because they caused the mess that caused austerity in the public's eyes. I know you might dispute that. but uh, So I, I think it's a really toxic issue for them. That's one of the reasons why immigration is a really toxic issue. Because if you start talking about the number of people in the country being too great, it's either immigration or it's that you messed up by not building enough houses. Mm. Uh, yeah, so. I also
1: what I also think is going to be a problem for both Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael in this budget is that there was... You know, and we we we've discussed this before, and I think that like last year there was a huge. I, I think budgets are are kind of they they have multiple. Functions. Obviously, this is the financial function of a budget at base level, but there's also kind of a, a psychological function like last year that I think that the budget wasn't bad and providing some reassurance for a lot of people who were really terrified about the cost of energy bills and stuff coming up in the budget. And there was some, you know, things done in that regard and it, it helped somewhat. But I think that there was too much um I think that they're going to because they've created a rod for their own back in the sense that there's a huge amount of self-congratulation about surpluses and how much money we have. And then to come out and start saying, oh, you know, it's going to be hard because there's more people. Last year, you were talking. You were all patting yourselves on the back, saying how great it was that you had a rainy day fund and so much extra money, and the, ta- the tax take was. You know what was the figures again? Remember, it was like double, triple. What was ex- what was forecast? Yeah. And everything is wonderful, and everything is going so well. You can't do that and then come back and say, "Oh well, you know, guys, brace yourselves because there's more people now, and we're- this budget is going to be tougher." Like
0: I yeah, well, those two things I, I, can't I, I, exist
1: I, I, at the same time.
0: At the same time, as people are, I mean, forget immigration, but people are paying two euro at the pump for a litre of petrol um it's uh it, like it's uh they, they are in significant difficulty because they've ramped up expectations of how much money there is and at the same time lots of people are struggling and there isn't enough money to 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 even touch on alleviating people's struggles. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I think we'll leave it there just some housekeeping for people who uh, if you've made it this far and many of you do as I know um next week we will be joined by senator Ronan Mullen um for a chat uh, he had hoped to join us over the summer but he you know just various things came up and wasn't able to to be here, but we're looking forward very much to that. And we will have other guests in the weeks to come because we've been a bit low on on guests recently. Uh, so we'll fix that. But I think from for now, um, until then, from Sarah and from me, thank you very much. Goodbye. And that, as ever, was the week that really was.